Welcome to the Retail Industry Podcast, brought to you by MarketScale. I'm your host, Sam Kingma. In the UK, designer brands are all the rage. From identity to social status, these clothing lines can say a lot about you. Joining me today is Francis Bishop, owner of The Pud Store, to discuss making designer clothing more accessible and how her store manages to thrive in a growing online shopping world. How are you doing, Fran? Good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing quite well. So I wanted to ask, how exactly did you get involved with retail? Um, I'm a little bit different, I think, to most uh, sort of retailers out there. I um, I dropped out of university in my second year when I was 20 and uh, came home and worked various different waitressing jobs and uh, met my husband. We got married and I had my little boy and I really love shopping. And uh, I brought him a designer uh, Hugo Boss jacket, which was about £140. And I actually spilled paint all over it in the back of my car. And I had a brand new Mercedes at the time and I wasn't bothered about the car. I was more bothered about this jacket telling my husband that what I'd done. And I thought, oh gosh. So I thought, right, I need to find to replace this jacket in a cheap way. Um, and I couldn't find anything out there really that suited my needs as a young mother, um, something that was designer, but, you know, lasted and, and, and had a great price. And that was it. It was as simple as that. I brought £200 worth of samples and sold them on Facebook. And people were like, I think you're onto something here. Why don't you create a shop, um, which is sort of reflects your personality and go from there. And it sort of just kind of snowballed, really. What do you think it is about designer brands that draw folks in? Obviously, you know, I think a lot of brands, you know, they have this sort of story with them. And I think, especially when it comes to children, especially in the UK, um, parents want parents feel that children are sort of a reflection of how they dress them as, as a reflection of how how well they're sort of brought up as such um especially sort of our, our key market demographic um they sort of feel that the nicer designer brands you dress your children in is a reflection of how well you're doing so in the uk it's, you know designer brands have a massive massive pull um especially in the children's wear market you know parents are willing to pay anything um but I think now it's come to the point, you know, children go, grow so quick that they're starting to be a little bit more price conscious, but they still want the designer element and the quality to it. So it's mostly just a status symbol and that the clothes are actually quality? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think now more than ever, especially in the last three to four years, I've noticed that it's sort of, it's a social symbol as well. You know, they love to put their pictures of the kids up and, and you know, designer brands on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter and say, oh, look, look, here's my child dressed in this designer brand. Um, look how well we're doing. Look at my child, comment on how my child looks, that kind of thing. And, you know, that's become that's become huge. Um, and it's one of the ways that we we market, to be fair. We rely on customers sharing images of their children in our clothes. And, and that's how we organically expand. Now, you mentioned that you wanted designer brands to be uh, much more cheaper than what they are. Yeah. How did you go about? How did you go about doing that with your store? Did you create your own designer brands? Um. Well, we are kind of like um, TK Mac, but past season. So I contact designer brands and um, buy and bulk their past season garments. Um. But as opposed to TK Mac, we put them into stories and concentrate on the way that they're actually presented in store, as opposed to just you know doing you know two three thousand square foot of, of just rail after rail. We actually put them into stories. So. I contact the brands and then negotiate with them um, for a while. And uh, a lot of them, you know, turn around and see see what we're doing and see that we actually care about the brands and we also care about the customer base. And it marries really well that designer brands, you know, a lot in the UK actually choose um, the PUD store above actually TK Maxx because they know that they're protecting the designer brand values by it coming into a, a boutique style shop rather than sort of going into a jumble sale clearance shop. So 
we have designer brands. What other things really excite your customers? Um, I think it's our service element. Um, we heavily, heavily use social media and we sort of kind of, I'm known to be a little bit eccentric, I think, in the retail world. And um, we've kind of got a reputation for ourselves that people drive, you know, two, three hours just to come to the store to be part of it, um, which is really flattering. But we do like quite a lot of Facebook live videos to integrate our customers within the sort of brand story and the and the shop story of what we're trying to get across you know we don't hide from the fact that retail is difficult you know every every day is a challenge but the customer that excites the customers they love that um and i think that that makes us as a retailer really competitive you know compared to other people is the fact that their customers feel so invested in our story and, and the growth and they they genuinely feel that they're part of the business and part of the company how many stores do you have so at the moment we have two, um, but we've just secured funding to open another two within two months, which is quite exciting. So we'll, everything will be doubling in size. Um, so sort of watch the space. I mean, I'm hoping by the, in, within the next two years, we should have a core, core of 10 stores if everything goes to plan. Wow, that's very impressive. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I do want to ask though, it is because, because you're going to have at least four stores in the next two months. Do you believe that, like, is that probably the biggest challenge of running one of these businesses is that you have to really split your time between multiple different locations? Yeah, I mean, I'm quite lucky in the fact that our staff retention rate is is incredibly high. Um, and the fact that, you know, the people that work for me, they see a real career progression in, within the business and they see that we're going places and, and you know, they witness the growth on a day-to-day -day basis. So, you know, they're all in, as invested in it as I am. So they're all going to the new stores with me training new staff and, and pulling people in but I mean I'm looking at the fact that now after two years the sort of business kind of runs itself um, and that's sort of a privileged position to be in I think for a retailer of our size um, you know it will be a challenge obviously growth wise and, and getting hold of the right stock and and making sure it marries to the two existing stores but I love a challenge I suppose. Any other challenges that you face with running the stores? You know, I think in the big in the UK retail market at the minute, um, business rates is is an absolute huge issue. Um, we've just been quite careful about the units that we've taken out to make sure that they don't um, have large rates attached to them. But obviously, as we grow and we find, you know, we want to move into more prime retail areas, it's going to be a case of seeing what the kind of rates and, and rents are going to be demanded upon them properties. I just hope that um, the UK government can do something to address that issue. Have you gotten involved with online selling at all? So we're quite um, unique in the fact that we have such a large turnover and profit here. We don't actually have a e-commerce active website. Instead, we shop. Um, we do shopping via Facebook. So imagine kind of like a QVC TV style shopping channel for children, but we do it using Facebook Live. Um, and revenue wise, you know, that can bring anything from one thousand to one and a half thousand pound a day just purely off Facebook sales. Um, which is obviously quite impressive for just having two stores. So as we grow, that's something, you know, we're going to be looking into growing rather than having, you know, traditional stand static e-commerce website. I'm interested in actually creating a social selling website. And so where customers can actually see the look and feel of garments, because especially in children's where um, every brand, you know, fits different. We get so many American brands and then the fit, you know, the sizing charts are completely off to, to UK brands. And that's actually our returns rate is actually 0.8%, which is, you know, again, ridiculously low for what we do, but it's because we educate the customer properly. You got me really interested with this Facebook Live thing. <laughs> Are you, so how exact, can you like go into further detail? Are you producing a QVC style show that is on <laughs> Facebook Live or? 
is it all pre-recorded footage that no um we actually just you know we 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 hit the live button on our mobile phones me and my staff will will be in store and we'll be like right guys you know what kind of line do we want to sell today um you know what what's what's the weather like and we we're very very reactive which i think is why we do so well um we're not like a traditional retailer who sticks to a plan we we react to what's going on outside you know at the minute we're having a heat wave so all week we've been selling caftans and cover-ups for children and we've done very well out of that so basically we'll be in stores a new line will come in we'll hit the live button and, and go live for anything from up to five seconds to two hours to our customers that then what happens is you know we'll say to the customers right call the stores and then we have like a calling system like a call center sort of thing in the stores which can handle up to five to six calls at any time customers will then go on hold pay for their garments and what i think why we're so popular is that customers watching that live video can actually see things being sold and packed there and then um Obviously, as we grow, it will probably need a little bit more structure. But, you know, the revenue that that creates is, is insane. But I think it's about having a really strong personality that, that customers can actually connect to. I mean, mums, especially, they're always sat on their phones. So when we go live, they get a notification straight away on their phone. Or if they're already on the Facebook app, you know, my face pops up and they can see exactly what they're selling. If they're interested, they'll watch it. But I mean, we get around six to eight thousand viewers at any one given time. This sounds super innovative. Is any other store doing this? I mean, a lot of things that we're doing and, you know, we're obviously trying to mimic that. But I think that because we've sort of been doing it for so long and I'm quite self-assured in what I'm doing and what I'm trying to do and the personality that, you know, I, I am utterly eccentric, I think. And, you know, that used to be to my detriment, but I think people really engage with that now and they, they share my passion. And I, I genuinely, genuinely love what I do. And customers can see that and they can see, you know, how passionate I am about the products that I actually sell. So that rubs off on them. And then they think, do you know what? I'm going to ring up and I'm going to buy that. Um, and it is literally as simple as that. I mean, competitors, are, you know, they're trying to copy what we do, but we've built up such a loyal customer base, which I'm so thankful for, that they are really invested in, in, in put in every single essence. Do you see online stores like Amazon as serious competition to your business or is it more a worry of sort of local competition you know what um people always say to me you know how do you, how do you feel about competitors but i sort of i'm aware of my competitors but i don't dwell upon it and i think this is sometimes an issue of what retailers do they dwell upon their competition so much they don't actually focus on what they should be doing and how they can do what they're doing better. So I'm aware of local competitors. Obviously, I'm aware of, you know, Amazon Prime. It's incredible what they offer. But we're proving that you can still, you know, be successful, even though we're sending out, you know, items on three to five working day delivery. Customers aren't bothered about that. They are bothered about the fact if they're getting a good deal, they know they're going to get it. There's a trust basis in place with us. Um, I think it's more the trust element as opposed to competitors. I think that rather than sitting there worrying about what each local retailer is doing or, or you know the bigger guys I just I stay in my own little bubble and I think because of that I we've probably been more successful do you think it's because of sort of the communication that you have with your customers that gives you the advantage over Amazon and why they're going to go to your store instead of there yeah I think you know I'm a champion for returning to sort of traditional retail. Um, you know, I'm under no illusion. Amazon are incredible what they do. You know, it's been astounding what they've done. But I think that there's a genuine want and need and desire from customers to return as such to traditional retail values, you know, where you are knowing um, a child's shoe sizes they walk in, 
your store or you're knowing the fact that they had a birthday party three weeks ago, you ask them how that was. Retail for me is all about um, human communication. And I think, you know, the bigger that some of these online brands get, they're often losing that. You know, they only talk through their social media channel and it's a generic sort of post every day. What we're doing is bringing it sort of back to that very, very traditional market kind of retailer mentality. And I, do, I think if it didn't work, then we wouldn't be able to, you know, be growing as quick as we are and having the revenue and, and customer base that we do. It. I think it really, really resonates with people. Um, you know, one of my stores is in a area of regeneration in Doncaster and opposite us, we have a 12,000 square foot unit, which is laying empty. That has absolutely no effect on how busy we are. People are still making that journey to come see us. Um, to put it in perspective, we went on sale to, into our summer sale two weeks ago. Within an hour of announcing that on Facebook, we had a customer drive from Cambridge, which is around 120 miles away from the store, drive straight to the store in time for closing the next day. We got four or five people that lived, you know, at least 80 miles or further afield, you know, come straight to the store. We are, we, you know, we're a small little movement, but it's, it, it's gaining momentum. Okay, now I got one more question for you. Do you see retail shopping existing in the next 10 to 20 years? Or do you believe that the things you've spoken about before about communication and trust with the customer that is going to prevail through the end of time? I think that retailers to survive, especially on the high street, need to adapt more. You know, we, we, we're kind of like a retail theater as such. So you walk in the store and there's always something exciting happening or, you know, there's, you could, they can see deliveries coming out of boxes and it's very exciting, it's very real, it's very fresh. That's what keeps us going. <clears throat> and I think to, to survive within the next 10 years, there needs to be, you know, retailers need to be controlling what goes on within their stores rather than relying on outside conditions. They need to be ensuring that they're engaged um, product knowledge. They need to be ensuring that there is a genuine theater that goes on within the stores rather than just that complacency that people are going to hand over their money. Because eventually, if, if customers aren't happy, they're going to stop handing over their money. They're going to stop making that effort to you know, drive into town and pay for parking. But then also on the flip side, I think that local governments and councils need to be doing more to, be, you know, to stop being so short-sighted with retailers. They need to look to medium long-term plans and and make sure the investments in place to protect the high streets, especially, you know, they have a massive effect on the local economy, house prices, quality of life. It can't just disappear from the high street. You know, the high street just can't disappear. We've got to start adapting to build it for the future. Um, and I think that if, if we, you know, the government here, I think especially is so short-sighted in, in what, that, you know, they're looking at just the revenue that business rates generate. I mean, it generates 32 billion pounds a year in the UK economy. Um, but if all these shops are closing down, they need to be doing something to to pull that back. So they need to be investing more into, in, into the high streets. It's just, it really is as simple as that. Thank you for coming on, Fran. And thank you, everyone, for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to find out more or listen to previous episodes, you can head to marketscale.com slash industries and subscribe for previous podcasts, articles, and video content from your favorite industries. I'm your host, Sam Kingma, and you have a fantastic rest of your day.